Professional football in America is a special game, a unique game. Played nowhere else on earth, it is a rare game. The men who play it make it so. By the way, ladies and gentlemen, as always, this stuff in lieu of actual entertainment. All righty then, hello and welcome back. This is Storytime, and I am GamerDude. Now, to men and women of a certain age, that little trumpet call and that voice that you heard in the intro, that'll bring back memories to you. And that'll give you a hint as to what we're talking about. We're going NFL today. But if that didn't give it away, listen to this. Men and women of a certain age, this music meant the NFL. And I'm going to tell you why. And I'm going to tell you how this music and this presentation of NFL films got into my subconscious at an early age and caused me to fall in love with the NFL. I mean, it wasn't only the music and the voice, but the NFL did such a great job of packaging itself back in the 60s and the 70s and the 80s. And that's why it became the behemoth that it is today. Now, there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with loving the NFL. I loved the NFL for years, and I was, and still am, a huge Jets fan. I know. You don't have to feel sorry for me. I feel sorry enough for myself. But I am a Jets fan, and my fandom started at an early age. Now, as you know, I was a reader. I read everything. And there were two books that I got through the Scholastic Book Club that I just ate up. And I read and reread and reread. One was called Strange But True Football Stories. And one was called The Great Moments in Professional Football. Now, there are actually two books out there called Great Moments in Pro Football. If you're looking for the book that I fell in love with, make sure that you get your hands on the one by Xander Hollander. It's a compilation of stories called Great Moments in Pro Football. It came out in the early 70s sometime, and it had a bunch of different stories in it. And I loved to read, and I loved sports, and it was a perfect combination. I read that book over and over and over again, and I learned things about the sport that I never knew. There was a story about the first NFL championship game back in 1933. And there were stories that were just interesting to me. There were stories about Y.A. Tittle. I had no idea who Y.A. Tittle was until I read about him in this book. And stories about Jim Brown and the college all-stars who beat the NFL champs. They used to have an exhibition game where there was all-star college players facing off against the NFL champs. That doesn't happen anymore, but back in the day, that was a thing. There was a story about how the Jets won the Super Bowl. The expansion Jets that were a miserable team called the Titans in 1960 and were horrible in the AFL, in 1969, won the Super Bowl. There was a time where Jim Marshall ran the wrong way with a football after he picked up a fumble. Jim Marshall, a linebacker. Now, I don't remember. Was he a linebacker or a lineman? I believe he was a linebacker, but if I'm wrong, correct me if I'm wrong. But either way, he scooped up a fumble and ran the wrong way, and I remember that. All those stories stick in my head. I don't remember what position he played, but I remember the story. But all of these stories about the history of this game and the interesting people who played it fascinated me. And so I read and reread those books over and over again. And I learned the history of the NFL and I learned the history of the AFL. Now, this is going back in time. Back in the 60s, a rival group of people formed another football league called the American Football League. 
and my beloved Jets were part of the AFL, and they were set up to compete with the NFL. And you had teams in the AFL drafting players from college and teams from the NFL drafting players from college. And one of my favorite players at the time was Joe Namath. Now, I wasn't there when he was drafted. I had no knowledge of what was going on between the AFL and the NFL. I only discovered Joe Namath long after he had passed his prime, long after he had won a Super Bowl. But I read the stories. And how I discovered Joe Namath, one of the ways, was by reading about his guarantee for Super Bowl III. And I thought that was really cool. So his whole attitude to me as a kid was very appealing. And he was part of the rival AFL. Now, when I started rooting for football, the AFL and the NFL had already merged. For those who don't know, back in 1970, after the fourth Super Bowl, the AFL and NFL merged into one league, and then they created the conferences, the AFC and the NFC. But before that, the Super Bowl was between the champions of each league. The AFL champion faced the NFL champion. The first two years, the NFL champion won. Happened to be the Green Bay Packers both years. The second two years, much to the chagrin of the NFL, the Jets won, and then the Chiefs won. So at the time of the merger, the Super Bowl championships were divided 2-2 two to two between the AFL and the NFL. Now, I don't pretend to know why things happened, why things merged, why the two leagues agreed to merge, and what happened between them. All I know is it became one big NFL entity. But I still loved it. I rooted for my team. I rooted for my Jets. Now, the NFL owned Sundays when I was growing up. That's really the only day that it owned. Because I was too young to appreciate Monday Night Football. I was in bed when Monday Night Football came around. There was no Sunday Night Football. What you had when I was growing up was football on Sundays. That was it. You had a 1 o'clock game and a four o'clock game. And the games ended in three hours. Your one o'clock game ended by four o'clock. And there was no overtime. There were only tie games. If the game ended in a tie, it was a tie, and it was over at four. And then you'd have a four o'clock kickoff. And the four o'clock game would be over by seven o'clock. Why are things different now? Commercials. Replay review. All kinds of things built in to make the game longer. So now you need a three and a half hour window instead of the three hour window. But when I was a kid, you'd have the 1 o'clock game start at 1, of course. And then you could gear up, be ready for your 4 o'clock game, and be done with football by 7 o'clock. But boy, it owned the afternoon. Those six hours, all NFL. It's pretty much the same now, except now they own the whole freaking day. But that's a whole separate issue. Because you've got Sunday night football, and you've got Monday night football, and you've got NFL live, and pregame shows, and postgame shows. And when I was a kid, it was six hours on Sunday. You'd have a half-hour pregame show. And there was no post-game show. If they had a few minutes at the end of the 4 o'clock game between 6.55 and 7 o'clock, you might get a quick recap. But otherwise, they were off the air at 7 o'clock. In fact, there's a famous story about how strict the networks were with the timing of sports. I won't bore you with the details, but I'm going to give you a little homework assignment. Go Google the Heidi game. That was a game between the Jets and the Raiders. What a nightmare that was. There was a couple of minutes left in the game, but it was going past 7 o'clock and the networks wanted to run the movie Heidi. And so they cut away from the game and started the movie Heidi. As you might expect, people were upset. But that's how the NFL began to change the way sports were broadcast. 
because their fans were so outraged that the networks would cut away from a live game for what some thought was a stupid movie. The movie viewers wanted to see the movie, but the fans wanted to see the game. But that's the kind of thing that used to happen. That would never happen now. They just keep pushing the shows back until the games are over. But when I was growing up, that wasn't the way. They had these games slotted into these three-hour windows, and at 7 o'clock you were done. Now, I grew up in the New York area, and the blackout rules and the broadcast rules meant that we got the Jets games and the Giants games. That's all we got. There were no bye weeks, so the Jets and the Giants played every week. And the way it balanced out, the Jets would have either the 1 o'clock game or the 4 o'clock game, and the Giants would have the other one. So if the Jets started at 1, the Giants would start at 4, and vice versa. And they were on different networks, so you'd watch, at the time, you would watch the Jets on Channel 4, because they were the AFC channel, and the Giants on Channel 2, because they were the NFC channel. And those were the only games we got. So I watched a lot of Jets, and I watched a lot of Giants. We watched Giants because, number one, they were on. But number two, my dad was a Giants fan. And I like the Giants because they're a local team. I don't love the Giants like I loved the Jets. But I liked the Giants. And I've always been a Giants fan, mostly out of respect for my dad, because he really liked them. And partly because I couldn't get away from them as a kid. They were always on. So those were the two football games that we watched. And during halftime, you get the updates of the other games. But I never got to see another game. The broadcast rules didn't let them break away from a Jets game that was a blowout or a Giants game that was a blowout. You were watching your local team, period. Occasionally, if the game would end early, I'd get the tail end of a Cleveland Browns game, a Minnesota Vikings game, whatever game was running late. But it was a rare thing. The only way I could get information on the other teams was to watch the weekly recap. It was called This Week in the NFL. Now, you have to remember, this is the days before SportsCenter. This is the days before 24-7 sports coverage anywhere. This is the day before Sports Talk Radio. Nowadays, you can go into any big city and find the Sports Talk Radio channel and listen to them. And people will have hot takes on whatever the topic of the day is, including the NFL. But back when I was growing up, this wasn't a thing. ESPN had not been invented. 24-hour sports coverage? Are you crazy? It was an insane idea. And something we never contemplated when I was a kid. So if I wanted to catch up on what the other teams were doing, if I wasn't reading about it in the newspaper or in Sports Illustrated or in the Sporting News, one of the other periodicals that was out at the time, if I wanted to catch actual highlights then I had to be by my television on Saturday evenings at 7 o'clock on Channel 9, WOR, which sometimes came in for us and sometimes didn't because the airwaves were kind of freaky and our broadcast network wasn't coming in that strongly where we lived. But I could usually catch This Week in the NFL. And it was hosted by Tom Brookshire and Pat Summerall, two former players and two broadcasters. And they ran through the highlights every week. And this is where we're going to circle back to the music you heard at the beginning. And that voice, that voice, that was the voice of John Facenda. John Facenda became the voice of the NFL because he was featured in these weekly highlight programs. There was only one guy doing the voiceover. It was him. Over the years, they added more people in. But for the longest time, John Facenda 
did those recordings, did those voiceovers, and did all of the highlight reels for the NFL broadcast, where it was this week in the NFL, and for all the highlight films for the teams from the 70s and the 80s. Now, all of those films were done by an outfit called NFL Films, which was a company formed by a guy named Ed Sable, and he worked with his son, Steve Sable, going back to 1962. Yes, I know this stuff because I wanted to know where this stuff came from. It fascinated me the way this started. What Ed Sable did was create a way to present these games in a very dramatic fashion. And so he'd create highlight reels for each of the teams. He'd create highlight reels of the championship games. And every week he would create a little highlight package and they'd run it every week on This Week in Pro Football. But it wasn't just highlights. What they did is they commissioned musicians and composers and they put music together to run with these highlights. And then they got John Facenda to do the voiceover. So if you were watching a highlight about a dramatic comeback or a triumphant return or a season collapsing after a promising start, they had music to go with it and they had voiceover to go with it. Like, give a listen to this. And hopes that were high in the heat of September can wilt and die in the chill of November. November can be cold and gray. November can be surly, with bitter rain upon the world and winter coming early. I don't even want to talk after that voiceover, right? That voice. Or how about this? Listen to this. Just the first few notes. I remember the videos that went with it. Actually, it wasn't video, it was film. That's one of the things that NFL Films did, is they used actual film instead of videos, and it gave it a more polished, dramatic, significant look because it was film instead of video. And then you drop in some voiceover from John Facenda, the voice of God, as they called him, and that delivery that he had. It made everything so important and so dramatic. One of the things that NFL Films did was come up with some original ideas. And Steve Sable wrote a poem called The Autumn Wind. And I'm going to throw that in here because I remember this poem. I remember, I remember watching the episode where they played this poem with John Facenda narrating it and the music that came after it. And it was about the Raiders, the Oakland Raiders, soon to be the Vegas Raiders. But the Oakland Raiders were always the buccaneers, the swashbucklers, the bad boys of the league, the pirates of the league. And so Steve Sable came up with this poem. He wrote this, and they put it to music, and they had John Facenda read it. The autumn wind is a pirate. Blustering in from sea, with a rollicking song he sweeps along, swaggering boisterously. His face is weather-beaten. He wears a hooded sash, with a silver hat about his head, and a bristling black mustache. He growls as he storms the country, a villain big and bold. And the trees all shake and quiver and quake as he robs them of their gold. The autumn wind is a raider, pillaging just for fun. 
He'll knock you round and upside down and laugh when he's conquered and won. And then after you have that poem, they cut to a highlight with the Raiders. And they have this music underneath. And you knew you were talking about the Raiders. Now the Raiders have actually adopted that poem and that music is their theme. I don't know if you can still hear it in the stadium. I don't know if you will still hear it in the stadium once they move to Vegas. But I remember... I mean, the name of the piece is called The Raiders. It's their theme. And I remember the NFL Films Organization made that happen. You associate things with that music and with that team because of NFL Films. So when you're growing up, when you're a teenager, when you're a young kid watching this stuff and the music is being put into your head every week from these highlights and the deep voice and the gravitas with which all of the highlights are delivered, and you're faced with this every week, and then every week your team is playing, and it's it's important to watch them because there's so few games, so you have to be there to watch the games, even if your team sucks. You have to be there because the hope is that they'll prevail at some point. That's how the NFL gets into your blood. It's different now. It's different now because the NFL is everywhere all of the time. The draft is big. The players are big. The contracts are big. 24-hour coverage. You can always find the NFL network somewhere, and you can find something NFL-related and replays of games. and so, So you're inundated with it. It's on all of the time now. But it all started with these little packages, this music, this narration, this presentation that made the NFL something compelling to watch and something that folks of a certain age absorbed into their consciousness and into their bloodstreams and became huge NFL fans. And I was one of them. It's interesting to me to see how the NFL film started. I'm not going to bore you with it, but back in 1962, Ed Sable outbid everybody to film the NFL championship game. And he and Pete Rozelle got to talking, and to make the very long story short, they reached an agreement where Ed Sable would film all of the games for the NFL and put together highlight packages for all the teams. And he did it with his son, Steve, and a crew of cameramen, and they were filming the games, and then they put these dramatic packages together. And Ed Sable happened to be in the same bar as John Facenda one night and heard John Facenda comment about how he liked the presentation. And so Ed approached him and said, if I write up a script, can you say that the same way? And Facenda said, I'll give it a try. And the rest, as they say, is history. Facenda was a broadcaster and an actor in the Philadelphia area. Ed Sable was from New Jersey, and they just happened to be in the same place at the same time. But it's from these little things that giant oak trees grow. And the NFL, if nothing else, is certainly a giant oak tree. My fandom has waned a bit over the years, whether it's because I'm just tired of the losing. (laughs) As a Jets fan, that's what you get. Maybe it's because I'm tired of just being inundated with the NFL all of the time. There was something about it being available on such a limited basis when I was growing up. I appreciated it more. There was only those six hours on Sunday afternoons, and then when Monday Night Football was something that I could stay up late and watch, that was an extra game that I could see. But that was it. There was no Thursday games. There was no Saturday games. There was no Sunday night games. It's everywhere now. And I think maybe just a little tired of it. 
Anyway, that's going to do it for this episode of Storytime. Thank you so much for being here. Thanks for listening. Thanks for letting me share my memories with you. I appreciate your support more than I can say. Until next time, you guys take care of yourselves, and I'll see you when I see you.